sanctified. It was all God's plan. It was central to God's plan. There should be no surprise in that, either for his first century readers or for people in Western Europe in the 21st century. That is the way it is meant to be. Or not meant to be, perhaps, but, but, but that is what God expected to happen. But underneath that, says Matthew, we need to recognise there is an authoritative, sovereign Jesus who is absolutely in control. Matthew's Gospel is heading towards the end of the Gospel where the risen Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. That is where it's heading. And at this point in Matthew 8 and 9, Matthew is, start, is just um, sketching for us the unstoppable authority of Jesus. He is unstoppable. Matthew 8 and 9 is a collection um, of, uh, of stories about Jesus to establish that single um, point. Jesus is unstoppably authoritative. And I hope as we've gone on now for, for uh, looked through it for a number of weeks, you've started to get the picture of what Matthew is trying to say. The, the, the miracles um, uh, are gathered together of Jesus in three sets of three in Matthew 8 and 9. So, uh, just to glance back, just to, to, to show you quickly, Matthew 8, uh, 1 to 17, is a set of three miracles linked together by the idea of, of reversals. That's what, one way you could look at it. So, an unclean person, and a person who would be rejected in, the, in Jewish society, even would be seen as being rejected by God. An unclean person, a leper, is made clean. His status is reversed. A Gentile, a centurion, someone not, not from the people of God, um, uh, expresses faith far beyond what the historic people of God were doing. There is a reversal here from outsiders coming in. And then in that first set of three, the most important reversal of all, um, um, Matthew says that all the miracles that uh, he's recording point to a central truth that Jesus is, is going to do a great reversal. He is going to take the punishment for our sin onto his shoulders so that we can be forgiven. Uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 17. This was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. And that, that in, in Isaiah 53 is not particularly about illness. It's more fundamentally about sin. Or the second triplet in uh, 8, 23 to 9, verse 7. That, that, there, Jesus... Dem and Matthew wants to demonstrate Jesus' power. Jesus' power over the wind and the waves. So he just speaks and the waves are still. Jesus' power over spiritual forces of evil so that demon-possessed people who, who come who, um, uh, have those demons driven out. And again, in the second triplet, supremely, Jesus' power to forgive so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says, 9 verse 6. He makes a crippled person walk. 
Okay? So what, what, what's Jesus doing? He's demonstrating his authority in these ways. And then what is he calling us to do? That is the other theme that's been going through Matthew um, uh, 8 and 9. You remember it? That first um, stunning set of little stories in Matthew 8, 18 to 22, where he effectively says to people that absolutely nothing can get in the way, must get in the way of you following me. Let the dead bury their dead. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he says. That. You, must, you must put me absolutely first if you want to follow me. And then last week we saw um, in 9, verses uh, 9 to 17, another, another interlude where he stops and, uh, and, and there's an interaction which describes what, it, what it's like to follow Jesus. And you might think from that first set of statements that Jesus is wanting to create sort of, you know, wild-eyed fanatics, we said last week. But actually what he's creating is a new, glorious, extraordinary community. A community of people um, epitomised, for instance, by Matthew, a tax collector, a rogue, who follows Jesus and along the way calls a party for all the prostitutes and other vagabonds in the area. Or um, uh, they, these, and these people have new habits of celebration. No longer are they, they're not sort of dark, rules-based people. They rejoice and celebrate. And, uh, of course, that new community will need to be within new structures, not the old wineskins of Judaism. No, this life, this community of people that Jesus is creating is, is like new wine and it will burst out of anything old. It's, it needs to be poured into something new. Okay, that's where, that's where we got to. That'll be familiar to those who've, who've been here for, for the last few weeks. This is the authority of Jesus presented to us here. And now we get to the third of those three uh, sets of three miracles. And uh, we need to... Um, uh, see what is happening in these three miracles. In a sense, what's happened, what, what, what happens here is, is, is Matthew sort of strips down Jesus' ministry to its essentials. He's going to describe to us the essentials of what Jesus is doing for people both then, but also now, and indeed for all eternity. That's what we're going to see. Let's have a look at what he's, what he's doing then, uh, first of all, before we start to unpack that a little bit more. First of all, what he is doing is... He is healing and raising the dead. That's what uh, we see in verses 18 to 26, don't we? Two miracles there are, are uh, intertwined. 
First of all, there's this uh, um, uh, ruler who has a dead daughter. A ruler came and knelt before Jesus and said, my my daughter has just died, um, he says. Um, And he calls Jesus to uh, come to him and come and help. Then there is this woman who um, uh, the story serves as a sort of... um, a pause in the other narrative of going to the bedside of this dead child, a woman who is subject to bleeding. Now, some of Mark, when he um, uh, records this story, for instance, emphasises that the sort of uncleanness that in Jewish society this would have would have caused. But actually, Matthew Matthew's just um, uses language not that emphasises uncleanness, just that she's not well. She's, she's ill. A dead child, a woman who's sick. What happens? Verse 20. The woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And she is healed. Verse 22, second half. The woman was healed from that moment. But it gets better. Jesus goes on, enters the ruler's house where there, uh, there's all the commotion of uh, standard mourning practices um, and um, says something quite extraordinary. Go away, he says, verse 24. This girl is not, is not dead, but asleep. No, no, no. The, you know, death is final. Perhaps you can heal people. Doctors can do that. But death is final, isn't it? Death is the end. They mock. That's a, a sort of pious um, irrelevancy to say she's only sleeping. Anything but that. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up. Those two miracles in, in Matthew's scheme sort of serve as one. He's making one point here, and we'll see the significance of it in just a minute, but just to get the story in our minds, he heals people, he even raises the dead. Next story. Verses 27 to to 31, second miracle. Two blind men uh, come to Jesus. Um, He talks to them, interacts with them, touches their eyes, verse uh, uh, 29, and then verse 30, their sight was restored, we are told. Blind people are seeing Third story. A person who is, who is mute. Notice the, that, he, that um, Matthew describes it demon possession, which meant they could not talk. We, we, just because we don't see the sort of um, classic demon possession type of things that perhaps are described in the, in the Gospels shouldn't, shouldn't uh, uh, hide from us the fact that Satan is very real, spiritual forces of evil are very real and they lie behind or evil, ultimately. 
that is in uh, uh, that is in this world. Okay, and here um, is a, a person who cannot speak, but Jesus drives the demon out. Verse thirty-three, and the man who had been mute spoke. So here we have it. Healing and even um, um, rising from the dead, curing blindness, enabling to speak. What is the, uh, the significance of all of that? Well, the significance is very important for us to catch and that's that's what I want you to, to uh, look at for just uh, a few minutes. First of all, this is the fulfilment of the hopes of the Old Testament. The Old Testament looked forward to a day when God's Saviour would come, would reign, would defeat all evil. And that, uh, that, that moment was described in, in terms that that um, when you read this, when you, when you have this in your mind, you cannot help but say they were looking forward to Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 35, for instance, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame will leap for, like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Isaiah even predicted that the dead would rise. Isaiah 26, verse 19. Your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. So when Jesus is doing these miracles, he is saying... All the hopes of the Old Testament, the hopes of the, of the final defeat of evil, all the hopes of the Old Testament are beginning to come true. As blind people see and mute people speak and dead people even rise. But he is also, as well, anticipating the future. Actually, the forces of evil have not been defeated completely yet. These are signs of a future final defeat of evil, but they are not the final defeat itself. It awaits the end of the Bible, which predicts the, the, God's final creation of a new heaven and a new earth in which God reigns fully with, 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 with no opposition. On that day, people will be raised immortal. The dead will rise, says the Bible. Or as uh, Revelation 21 verse 4 puts it, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning as there was for, for this uh, ruler's daughter or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. 
That girl died eventually. It was a temporary revivification. It wasn't the final thing that Jesus was pointing to. That awaits his final return. When there will be no more death. And that final state that this is just an anticipation of will also be the time when we see fully. Revelation 22 verse 4 again describing this new creation and it simply says they will see his face. For now we don't see fully. We may have physical organs that can... uh, Uh, interpret the light accurately but we do not see in the sense of fully understanding this world fully seeing God but then we will then we will see everything and those who have been brought to life eternally and those who have come to see with perfect clarity to see his face What will they do? Their tongues will finally be fully loosed and they will praise God eternally. Little anticipation of it in Revelation 5, for instance, where where, um, Jesus is presented and... uh, Uh, and the whole of creation starting in the angelic realms starts to praise Jesus in Revelation 5 and uh, it, it, it spreads out and reverberates beyond just the heavenly realms where they can already see clearly to the whole creation. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. You know, if we sing a song too many times we start to feel a little bit bored and a bit tired of it, don't we? And so you think praising God eternally is going to be perhaps the most boring thing in the world. It won't be the only thing that we do. We'll, every aspect of our life will be glorifying God, uh, to God. But what, what, uh, what the Bible is saying is that there will be a joy and a satisfaction and a clarity of vision and, 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 a, and a contentment and a delight in God that is so astonishing and so astounding and so much fills our hearts that we will not be able to do anything but praise God morning, noon and night. We won't get bored of it because it will just be the overflow of our hearts. That is what the Bible is describing and that is what Jesus is anticipating here as he brings someone to life, as he gives them eyes to someone, eyes to see, and he gives them a tongue to speak. It's the fulfilment of everything that the Bible had looked forward to. It's the anticipation of everything in the future that is good. And it's a third thing as well. It's a description of what Jesus is doing now in the 21st century. It is a promise for for today. Think of all of those texts in the New Testament 
that describe actually the process of becoming a believer, becoming a follower of Jesus. In exactly those terms. Think of Ephesians 2, for instance, where the Apostle Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Every single human being, um, before they have faith in Christ, they, they are walking a living death, says the Bible. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, he says. The process of becoming a believer, the process of becoming um, a Christian, the process of becoming a follower of Jesus is moving from death to life. It is what God is doing now. It is what Jesus is doing now amongst us as people come to life. And think of how the New Testament again and again describes that process as eyes being opened. Remember Lydia in, in, uh, uh, in Acts chapter uh, 16, for instance, in Philippi, who, who hears the gospel and we're told the eyes of her heart were opened. Or uh, the, the, the very process of, of, of um, uh, the, the very process of, of living as a believer is described uh, in terms of seeing Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 We who with unveiled faces all behold the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing joys. We who with, with unveiled faces veil has been lifted and we can behold the Lord's glory. That is what transforms us. Or uh, just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you are a believer here this morning then once you were blind, you couldn't see. And then God opened your eyes. Like turning the light on. Like finally being able to see the fundamental truths about this world. Finally being able to see Jesus who rules over all things. And of course, those who are brought to life, those who have their eyes opened, they are enabled to speak as well. To speak in new ways. Think of Peter's description of God's people. There are chosen people, he says in 1 Peter 2.9, a royal priesthood, 
holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our purpose on this earth now is to declare his praises, both to praise him and to declare his praises to the world. Our tongues have found their purpose. We are no longer mute. That's what he's doing. That's what he always intended to do. That's that's what he will bring to completion on the last day. Life, sight, speech. And that's what he's doing now. Here. If you're not a Christian yet, if you are not a follower of Jesus yet, then let, let me ask you, Can you recognise that diagnosis that Jesus has, gives us? That it is like a living death in one sense. It is like being blind, just not, not knowing, understanding the way the world is, confused. It is like having nothing of any value to say. If you are a Christian, if you want to be a Christian, rejoice in what Jesus does. He does give life. He does give sight. He does give speech. People have been Christians for a while, it just just becomes... Old hat to us, doesn't it? Or, or it becomes smothered with all of those details and trivia and the ongoing confusions of this world and, and, and we, we, we lose perspective. And this is designed to strip away all of those trivia and to help us see with clarity and with simplicity what Jesus is doing in our lives if we are believers. That is what he is doing. As you see Jesus, you are being transformed and being given new life. As you, as, as you perceive what is really going on in this world, you have something to say. It is praise. That is what he's doing in your life, beginning to end. That is his project. So many lessons as well from this passage. But let me just point out a couple of them before we finish. The first one that will be very significant for the passage we look at next week. Um, So I'll only mention it uh, uh, briefly this week. The first one is that Matthew starts to portray the inevitability of the progress of the message about this Jesus. Okay? 
His message is unstoppable. Actually, Jesus at this point doesn't particularly want it spread. He's got other agendas, include most particularly dying on the cross. But Ma- Matthew, with the sort of irony, describes how the message spreads anyway. You know, Jesus, who has the power to uh, to raise people to the to, to life, actually doesn't seem to have the power to stop them talking about him. Verse twenty-six, for instance, news of this spread throughout the region or most poignantly verses 30 and 31. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this, but they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. The message is unstoppable. You know, I, I've, I've been in this church for uh, um, too many years now um, and uh, uh, it is an obvious truth that the message has a life of its own which is unstoppable. Some of us will, you know, will have a bit of perspective and can see that. There are people throughout the world who have heard the message of the gospel and it has changed their lives and they continue to live changed lives as a result of the message that this little local group of people bore witness to. The life, the sight, the speech. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable in this part of the city. You know, we live in a hard culture, a different, a difficult culture. The gospel's spreading faster in many other cultures. But do you believe that this part of the city can um, see the spread of the message of the gospel? It is spreading. And as Jesus does his work in us, it will spread more. If there's an authentic work of Jesus in you, the message will be unstoppable. The other thing, just for two minutes I want to point out to you is, is the centrality of faith in Christ for all these things to happen. For instance, Jesus heightens that very significantly when he meets this sick, bleeding woman. Verse 22 Jesus turned to her and saw her. Take heart, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Matthew retells his story quite carefully in a particular way to try to, 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 try to heighten the connection. She was healed from the moment that she registered her faith had healed her. That's what he wants her to see. Her faith has healed her. Not, not because it's magic, but because Jesus doesn't do this um, independently of a trust in him. He does it as part of the process 
of coming to trust in him. Or it's very obvious with these uh, two blind men um, who uh, receive their sight. Um, Matthew sort of peppers the story with, with discipleship language. Verse 27, they followed Jesus. That to be a follower of Jesus was more or less to be a, di- a, a disciple. They, they seem to recognise more deeply than most who he is. They call him Son of David. That was one of the titles of the promised Messiah. These people, in one sense, have already seen. And then verse 28, Jesus says, Do you believe that I am able to to do this? Do you have faith that I am able to do this? Their answer is, yes, Lord. Another, Another title that often in Matthew indicates they got a pretty good grasp of how great Jesus is. And Jesus hammers it home. He touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith it will be done to you. People speak about them blind faith, don't they? In the Gospels, faith gives sight. Blind people are the people who can't see it. So if you're not yet a Christian, what needs to happen? Well, Jesus is absolutely clear. We need to learn to trust Jesus. We need see who he is and develop faith in him. I can't, you say? Absolutely right. But you see, even the desire for it is a good start. So we turn to him and we pray and we seek it. He will make you alive, he will give you sight, he will give you tongue to praise him as you learn to trust him. And if you are a Christian here this morning and realise how central to everything good that Jesus gives is a simple personal trust in him. That is the key that unlocks all these other blessings. Jesus is unstoppable. The message about him is unstoppable. The only question is, will you trust him? Will you be part of that unstoppable force? As Jesus put it, Do you believe?